When your ideal customer's kids are begging every night to read your book, you've won. At Dinosaur House, we turn industry leaders into kids' book authors. We don't do it because it's a super fun thing to do, although it is. We do it because it's highly strategic. Imagine if every night your customers are being asked by their kids to read a book that your company made. Talk about brand affinity. You're helping your customers connect deeply with the most important thing in their lives, their kids, over something that they are passionate about that has to do with your industry. If you want to have a conversation with us about how your brand could become the author of a kid's book, just hit us up, dinosaurhouse.com. Hit the little button that says schedule a story design call. And we'll have a jam session together on just what your company's kids book could and should be. Hi, everybody. I am Margaret Kozlark. I am the co-founder and CEO of Nobly Vest. I am Christine Shu, the co-founder and COO of Nobly Vest. And we are a boutique real estate investing firm providing opportunities for busy professionals to build wealth through passive investments in real estate. And you are listening to The Purpose Driven Entrepreneur. What's up, Purpose Driven Entrepreneurs? It's me, your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guests today are Christine and Margaret. Christine and Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks, Thanks for, so having. Much for having us. Yes. Okay. So before we hit record, I was talking to you about some interesting things um, that you've figured out within your business. I always, I'm always curious how companies uh, go about reaching their ideal customers. And you were talking to me about some LinkedIn strategies that you have figured out. So I want. So in this episode, we're going to be uh, uncovering some some wins that you figured out about how to win on LinkedIn. But before we do that, I feel like it could be relevant uh, to give our listeners some context exactly on how your business works. So what exactly is it that your business does, as in what do you sell and to who, when did you start it, and what's been your growth? And either of you can take it away sure. and answer that uh, question. I'll, I'll jump in with that. So um, Christine and I manage a small equity firm where we work with um, busy professionals and helping them invest in real estate passively. And that really came about because both of us were moms working in the corporate world, working, making, you know, decent salaries, but spending a lot of time away from our family. And we were thinking there just has to be another way. So what we do is we will work with our partners and secure properties, ideally off market in investor friendly states that we can then offer to our investors to invest passively in. And that way they can earn passive returns on their money while still dedicating that time to their family. Yeah. And um, what have been your primary ways of getting investors? So, um, you know, really we targeted, there's kind of three different ways, you know, there's the referrals, which are people, you know, in our personal sphere or people that we've worked with prior in the corporate world. There's certainly LinkedIn, which Christine's going to chat about in a moment. Um, and then there's podcasts like this, which is a great opportunity for people to get to know you, learn a little bit more about you and, uh, you know, see if you're somebody potentially that they'd like to work with. Yeah. Honestly, before we get to, uh, the LinkedIn stuff, I wanted to ask you, Margaret, because you brought up podcasting and um, I've 
I've as somebody that has like a billion, po- like I'll start a podcast for everything that I'm trying to do. Like I wanted to reach teachers with my kids' books, so I started a podcast for teachers. I wanted to reach entrepreneurs, so I started a podcast for entrepreneurs. But I haven't been on a lot of podcasts. You you have both been on other podcasts and experienced business results from uh from doing those podcasts. So what have been some of the things that you've learned from doing that? So we have, um, and you know, a couple things are interesting is that it, it really, a lot of times it's organic, right? Because it, it all builds upon each other. So the more um, we network with people at events or the more active we are on LinkedIn, we sort of get on the radar of a lot of these podcast hosts and they actually reach out to us and ask us if we'd like to participate. And we always do because we love talking about real estate. Um, But as I said, I think there's something really special about it because you can read somebody's LinkedIn profile, you can even read a blog post that they wrote, but it's not quite the same as hearing them in an organic conversation, hearing how they phrase things, challenges that they may have had. And I just really feel like it gives people a better picture of who you truly are and what you stand for. And ideally, if they like what they hear, they're interested at least enough to schedule a call and continue the conversation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What about, and I want to. What about for you? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. I want to add to that because it goes two ways. The way our business runs is we all, we have our clients and our customers who are our investors. We also have partners that we work with, um, who are the sponsors and the the operators of you know these larger deals that we're working with. So being on these podcasts has been really helpful because it goes both ways in terms of, you know, getting more investors into our funnels and into our network. And it also kind of makes our name known to the the potential partners that we have out there that we want to work with. So establishing those relationships, and that's really important is to establish relationships both ways, because we want our investors to get to know us personally. And we also want to, you know, mutually know our operators and our partners that we work with really well mutually. So it kind of introduces ourselves to them because as we were starting out um, as Nobly Vest together, no one really knew about us. So it required a lot of networking and even getting on the podcast that our sponsoring partners are on or listening to, to kind of say, hey, you know, this is who we are. This is what we do. And we, we are available and we would love to have a conversation with you uh, to see if there's any synergies and if, you know, our values, I think that's important too, is to have um, shared values and missions. Mm-hmm. Um, if 100%. we do align, then, you know, it, it, it kind of just creates that initial introduction, right? And then we've we've been approached by many people. I think in the beginning, we were struggling with deal flow um, to be very transparent. But now after being on several podcasts and pretty well-known ones, we're we're getting inundated with a lot of deals <laughs> and a lot of partners, partnership opportunities. So now it's yeah. time for us to kind of sift through them to see which one is the best fit for yeah. us. It's a good problem to have. <laughs> That's a great problem to have. Yeah. How have you figured out how to get on more well-known podcasts specifically? Like what, have you done any uh, like outreach to be a guest on those shows or what, what has worked the best? So I have not, but I think what has helped is that both Christine and I have been passive investors. So we actually know a lot of these folks anyway. Um, You know, I've been investing as an LP since 2016. Christine has been an active landlord. She's been a JV. She's been an LP. So it wasn't even something 
I don't want to say we didn't have to try, but it helped that we already knew these folks. So really, it was just more a matter of producing good content, you know, and and sharing that we had something to say, that we had something to, you know, maybe that might have been a little bit different that could assist their listeners. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, oh, sorry, were you going to say something, Christine? Uh, yes. So I, I network a lot and it's my goal to know almost everyone in this industry. And I think He's I'm like almost there. <laughs> um, but so like as many meetup groups as I can go to virtually and sometimes in person uh, and just really get get in front of people and be known. I think that's yeah. the first step also. And mm-hmm. with that, it's like, you know, there's something that catches on about them or vice versa, then they'll They'll be like, oh, you're, you have an interesting story. You want to come on my podcast? And that's kind of how it all starts. That's awesome. Has being on podcasts helped fuel your LinkedIn content strategies at all? Or are these two kind of very separate things for you? Huh. I'd um, say it's separate for me. Um, yeah, I don't know that I was, I was that strategic in terms of trying to put them together. I could see certainly, you know, as we do more and more of them, potentially it happening. But for me, it's just or, all been organic, kind of like this, a conversation. And, you know, same thing with LinkedIn, like, okay, what, what do I want to share today? What do I have a value to share? Yeah. Speaking yeah. of value, um, before we hit record, I asked you for some very specific advice that you would give on about LinkedIn that you've learned from, from doing uh, challenge groups. Yep. Um, and you, you, you mentioned stopping the scroll more personal equals more better, um, challenges equal engagement groups and to chunk your content into digestible pieces, shake up the times that you post and to think about series is these are each very awesome pieces of advice. I want to start with stop the scroll. What do you mean when you say stop the scroll and what does that look like? So first stop the scroll it's you want to catch their attention because they're getting a lot of content as they're looking on the news feed of different posts and if they see you know lots of text big blocks usually I know for myself I kind of just breeze past them so if you have something that catches you know your reader's attention either through a graphic or a video or something or even if your structure of your post on the text side that will help Um, I like to add some emojis. I don't overdo it, but, you know, having a a header with some sparkles sometimes helps uh, to stop the scroll as well. Do you have like a, either of you have like a favorite um, uh, stop the scroll thing that you've done? Like either a headline that you really liked or like a graphic that you used that you feel like was really effective? I I like to bold my headers and use different font types. I, again, I don't do a lot of it because it it could be distracting, but just kind of formatting it nicely. So it reads Mm -hmm. better. Um, And then we like pictures, right? Most people are visual people. I know that I am. So kind of putting some of those emojis and then adding a photo. And also I found that people tend to like videos too, even though they don't watch the whole thing, the shorter, the better. But if they they can hear your voice and see you move, that tends to help a lot also. Yeah. What brought on the more personal equals more better? Like what uh, what kind of posts are we talking about here? So, you know, for me, I mean, it's not like, you know, Facebook where I'm, you know, 
posting pictures of my dog dying or anything like that. But I try to think of something from my past or maybe something from my present that could have a business application. You know, so one of the posts that seemed to really resonate well with people, and um, I was also just to sidebar that for a second, was going to say you want to have an intro that's going to catch people's attention enough to make them want to learn more, right? Yep. So one of the ones I had was when I got into a car accident when I was 17. So I posted a picture of a fender bender and the title was, I was 17 and just crashed my sister's car, right? So first of all, it's relatable because, and people I think naturally want to know what happened. So if you put it in a story format, I think that was engaging too. And then again, not too long, and not in a paragraph, but maybe a couple sentences, space, couple sentences, it makes it a bit more digestible and easier for people to read as well. So that was one that I did that got a lot of engagement. Honestly, I feel like one of the best pieces of advice that you've given me just, just in our pre-conversation was the idea of challenges as a hack to building engagement groups. If you wanna talk about that a little bit, I think that'd be super valuable. So I joined my first LinkedIn challenge back in December, and I, I really didn't know anything about it. It's just someone in my network said, hey, I'm going to do this LinkedIn challenge. Would you like to join us? And I had no idea like what he was even talking about. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you know, this is a great way to build your invest your uh, your follower list and just build more engagement on your social media profiles. I was like, okay, sure. I just jumped in it, not knowing anything, but there's so much power in a group of people coming together to help each other hack the algorithms that are within the social media platforms. So it's basically, you know, everyone's engaging with each other's posts and then it's spider webs out. Like it's a, it's a rolling effect because once you like and comment on someone's posts, people in, your network will see that post as well. It'll come up on their feed. So it just kind of goes infinite. Like it just keeps posting on and on. So that's kind of how you can get more followers and more engagement. And also when someone else in someone else's network sees the post and finds it interesting, then they will click on your profile and look at it. And then they'll start to see your content and be like, oh, this is really interesting. I want to follow this person. And that's kind of how you build that follower list. Yeah, I agree. And Christine had done two of these challenges and I had sort of watched from the sidelines being completely intimidated about it. Okay. Prolifically posting. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I can't possibly commit the time to this. But I actually did. I completed my first one and it was a lot of work. I'm not going to lie, but it was also a really great experience because I, you know, tried to shake it up. I did some that was a little more data-driven, some that was motivational, some that was personal, and then sometimes just a poll. Like you put a poll up there and that can be really engaging. It's something that somebody, when there's, to Christine's point, you can stop your scroll long enough to quick vote and then move on. Um, but I will say that the best, um, the best LinkedIn posts are the ones that really encourage not just a vote or a reaction, but a conversation. So ideally yeah. you want people commenting and then it's even better if the commenters engage with each other um, because that's really what LinkedIn should be for, right? It should be business people engaging in a dialogue. And those are really the most successful ones, I think. How do you get those conversations going? Like, do you just say something really um, uh, like feather ruffling or, or what do you do to get a good conversation going? 
there there are feather rufflers i am not a feather ruffler <laughs> but um a lot of times you know again like i said you know whether you're doing a series like christine or sharing a personal story ideally you want to end it with a question could be thought provoking or could just be asking people about their strategy, asking advice. You know, people love to talk about what they've figured out that's been a success, right? So, and people love to share knowledge for the most part. So, if you can ask something and then people can just kind of share what has worked for them in the comments. And then to Christine's point, then you get on that algorithm wave. And the more people that see it and the more people that jump in, it just keeps feeding itself. Awesome. So, for this question is for both of you. I started this podcast because I wanted a way that I could ask purpose-driven entrepreneurs what it is that they're really living their life for and what it is, that, like how the starting of their business uh, goes with their personal purpose that they have uh, in life. So I'd love to hear from each of you uh, what your thoughts are on that. Do you want to take that first, Christine? <laughs> Sure. So I would say for, for me, it's about having time freedom uh, because I am a mom of two young kids and my younger one having special needs and a disability. Um, he, he's the main reason. He's my biggest why, uh, because if he wasn't born into our family, I probably would have never second thought uh, my W-2 job. Um, I really didn't enjoy my W-2 job. But I was just in it because I felt like, you know, I had to I had to to work and provide for the family and, you know, be a partner to my husband in doing so. But then because of his birth, because of him coming into our family, we I had to really think of creative ways, other ways, alternative ways to get income to our family and not just income, but also build wealth, um, because Every parent of special needs children wonders what, what's going to happen to their child when, you know, parents are no longer there. And so I feel like having a W-2 job, there's a limitation to that. You get a salary every year. Probably you spend most of that money, that paycheck, just paying for life. And that's it. And, and what happens after that runs out? Who really knows, you know? So, I mean, there's things like retirement income, all that stuff, but then you're thinking about your kids and like, you know, my child, I don't know what's going to happen with him in the future. So really building out the wealth that becomes, you know, a legacy wealth, um, not just income wealth, but providing for them as they live and grow into adulthood. So that's, yeah. that's my biggest why. And that's kind of really what um, impacted the, the mindset shift of becoming an employee to a real estate investor. And now uh, with Nobly Vest and with Margaret, we would love to extend that opportunity uh, to others around us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, every parent thinks about these things for their kids and for their family. It's not just, you know, bringing home that day-to-day -day income, but expanding wealth through many generations after them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about yeah. for you, Margaret? So I was going to say the same thing. I also have a special needs child and, um, you know, you definitely want to make sure that your, your kids, you know, are taken care of after you leave. And for me, you know, growing up, my big thing is people don't really talk about money, or at least they did it in my family. So I didn't feel like I really grew up with sound financial skills. I kind of had to figure it out along the way. So I want to, you know, lead by example and certainly let my kids see, you know, there's, there's, you don't have to spend your whole life 
working for money so that by the time maybe you hit 65, you can finally retire, but you're exhausted and your body's breaking down. You know, there's other ways that you can do it, that you can live a life by design truly and enjoy your family and enjoy your life while you're young enough to do it. And then in the process, ideally create generational wealth that can be passed down. And then the other thing, you know, related to the education piece is, you know, I really feel that as a country, we need to do a better job about teaching basic money skills. You know, so many people are in credit card debt. So many kids come out of college. You know, we've taught for years. There's only one way. Go to college, get that corporate job, do the W-2, pay a bunch of taxes. Not everybody's cut out for college. And you know what? That's okay. There are other paths you can take. So I would like to help educate people just about being savvy with, with money and creating, again, that life by design that works for you. Yeah, I agree. In fact, there's a for fun question that I ask on every podcast episode, which is what's a topic or idea you'd make a kid's book about if you could. And we've talked about this, but like what specifically about educating kids about money do you feel is lacking the most? So for me, I think by now people have realized, um, okay, that there's a problem with debt, right? Debt's bad, credit card debt bad, absolutely. But there is good debt, right? There's leverage debt where you can use other people's money, you know, to you know leverage off of that to create, you know, rental income for yourself or you know building wealth for yourself. So it, it sounds a little complicated, but I guess I would want to teach people about the different ways that you can work with money and have the cards be stacked in your favor. Yeah. Why do you think people are so afraid to use debt? Because like I feel it too, and I think it's because I did Dave Ramsey like. Dave Ramsey got me out of debt, a ton of bad debt. But yeah. consequently, I still, even as an entrepreneur, I'm like afraid to use debt. <laughs> right. Well, I, again, I think debt is, is a bad word, right? And I think if you think about mindset and the way we look at anything in this country, right? We're fighting the war on crime. We're fighting the war on drugs. You know, we're trying to get out of debt. We're focused on everything that we don't want but you're not focusing on what you do want, right? I wanna build wealth. I wanna have a peaceful neighborhood. I want to, you know, have a better healthy body. You know, do you wanna lose weight or do you wanna feel healthier? And I think we're so focused on this scarcity mindset of everything we don't want, then we're not putting any attention or focus on the things that we do want. So it's just a mindset shift, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like that, that you say scarcity because I think debt is very much focused on scarcity. Yes. Whereas if you look at it as leverage, leverage, there's an abundance mindset. And then you start to think of resources and money as almost unlimited <laughs> at that point. And it's really yeah. interesting. It really is. It's all just a little mindset shift to kind of think about things a little bit differently. Um, and I, I don't know, it yeah. could be just how most of us are raised or I don't know. It's just... A, a barrier to kind of get past. I feel like some things yeah, are beliefs. It's like a mental block or something. Yeah. 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 It's still there for me. I'm, I'm terrified. If you, and I think it's kind of a blessing. Like, so like I went through a divorce right around the same time as I was start, like shortly after that, I started dinosaur house and the divorce wrecked my credit. So I couldn't get any loans. So it's kind of a good thing. I had to bootstrap dinosaur house cause I couldn't get any loans, yeah. but now my credit is good again. And I'm terrified of debt. Right. Well, and you know, the last thing I want to add related to that, like when you're talking about loans, <clears throat> excuse me, most people, if you say to them, what's your biggest asset, what are they going to answer? 
their house, right? Their house, yeah. But it's not an asset. An asset is something that makes you money. And your house, for most people, you're paying your mortgage every month. That's not an asset. It's just mm. a really big debt that you have. So it's just, again, it's a matter of turning things and looking at things from a different lens to realize, you know, how you can build wealth. And in that case, you really, yeah, unless you have independent wealth, you need leverage to help you get there. Yeah. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I love talking to each of you. Where are you most active on social for listeners to connect with you? So we talked a lot about LinkedIn. Uh, both Margaret and I are very active on LinkedIn. We put out a lot of educational content about our business, uh, about investing opportunities, and just learning about how to grow your wealth. So definitely follow us there. Um, yeah. And I would also say our website, which is noblyvest.com, N-O-B-L-I, Vest, V-E-S-T. We do a lot of blogs, a lot of educational series. You can sign up for our newsletter. Um, and we're always out, you know, really just helping people get educated about different asset classes and what might, you know, they might be interested in investing in. Perfect. All those links are going to be in the description. Christine, Margaret, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thanks thank so much, so Timmy. Much. Happy investing, everybody.